At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning. Uh, if we've not had the opportunity to meet, my name is Kurt McDonald. I'm one of the pastors here at Gospel Community Church. And this morning, it is my great privilege to bring to you God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he add his blessing to it. As you know, uh, we've been traveling through uh, the book of Luke line by line, verse by verse. And last week, we saw Jesus make uh, this incredibly profound statement. Do you remember that statement from Uh, verse 35. Look at it with me in chapter 11, verse 35. I hope you already have your Bibles out. Let's go, church family. Look at verse 35. He says this, therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. The, The text that we studied last week, Jesus gives us this warning, this warning about the darkness inside of us. He, he wants to speak to us, and, and, and what Jesus is saying is don't be confused about what's in your heart. What Jesus is, is saying there is he's communicating to us that don't think what is actually darkness in someone is light. Because listen to me, church family, when those who are in darkness think they are in light, they live in self-deception and self-deception is where hypocrisy lives. Let me say that again. Where there is self-deception, that is where hypocrisy lives. To say it another way, turning a blind eye to the inconsistencies in your own life, isn't that self-deception? When you turn a blind eye to inconsistencies, that can also be called hypocrisy. Of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs of one which behavior does not conform. Or, or as, as we say it down here in the South, hypocrisy is saying one thing and doing another. That, that's exactly what hypocrisy, hypocrisy is. It's saying one thing and doing another. And we don't need to look very far, do we? We don't need to look very far to discover examples of hypocrisy. Uh, just turn on social media for five seconds. I mean, there, there are a multitude of people who claim to be for this cause or for that cause, that this is the most important cause of our generation, fill in the blank on what cause you like, that this is the most important cause of, of our generation. And so what, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to post a hashtag. I mean, we're not, we're not going to actually get involved. We just, we just want to post the hashtag and be free of it. I mean, that, that's all we need. I mean, isn't social media filled with This picture of a life that isn't reality, and isn't that the center of hypocrisy? I mean, we we don't need, how how about just, how about just turning or going and looking to, we don't need to look far uh, to, to discover hypocrisy. Again, we can look to social media, as I've stated, but, but not only social media, we can look to celebrities. I mean, isn't, isn't our celebrity obsessed culture, I mean, aren't we just staring in the face of Celebrities who claim to be humanitarians, uh, they, you know, these celebrities that, oh, we just, we are here to help the poor, and if the poor need any help, we'll be on our yachts, you know, uh, in the Bahamas eating caviar. Um, you know, I mean, there, there, there is hypocrisy all around us. It's, it's something that we see all of the time. I mean, we, we can see hypocrisy in those 
uh, who claim to be singing new country music. Oh, it's just me today. I'm just pointing out hypocrisy. That's all I'm doing. It's not real country. Everybody knows that. No, no real country has happened after the 2000s. I mean, it's, it's been going downhill from there. Or maybe we can take it a little bit closer to home and say, well, let's look at religious leaders. How about the religious leaders of our day? I mean, there's, there's a, a new podcast every week about them. There's a, a new documentary every week about the hypocrisy of the religious leaders of our day who are calling all of us to moral purity while they live immoral lives. We, we don't need to look far or wide to notice and see hypocrisy. It is all around us. But listen to me, church family. It is very, very easy to point out the hypocrisy in others without realizing the hypocrisy in ourselves. If, you, if you're taking notes, jot this down. It's easy to see the hypocrisy in others, but we struggle to see it in ourselves. It, it is as if our sinful human eyes actually block us to seeing our own hypocrisy, while those same sinful human nature eyes can easily see the hypocrisy in others. And so the, the difficulty in our text today is that it is going to call us to have the courage to stare in the face, not of others' hypocrisy, but the hypocrisy of ourselves. You see, in all of our finger-pointing and blaming, we have excused ourselves of our own hypocrisy. It's, 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 it's classic, just classic deflection. And so the challenge from the Word of God today is for us to have the courage to look at our own hypocrisy. And the question is, will we have the courage to hold up the Scriptures as a mirror to our own soul? Because that's what the Scripture does. That's what the Scripture is. The Scripture is a mirror to our own soul, showing us who we are, showing us what we are, showing us the hypocrisy in our own soul. And so the verse that we looked at at the very beginning in in verse 35 does not say, Therefore, be careful lest the light in someone else be darkness. The the text says, be careful then lest the light in you be darkness. And so we are going to hold up, at least attempt to, hold up the mirror of Scripture, look at it, showing us our own souls. But, But in case we be dismayed at what we see, in case the mirror shows your own hypocrisy and you feel like a total failure. You, maybe today you might recognize your own hypocrisy and feel like, I, I can't measure up. Here's the good news, church family. The gospel is good news even for hypocrites. <laughs> Write that down. That's, that, that's the whole big point today. The gospel is good news for hypocrites like you and me. That the gospel is still good news. You see, Jesus calls us to repent of our hypocrisy. Then the Holy Spirit points out those areas of inconsistency in our own lives. Then he sheds his blood to cover the sin of hypocrisy. And by the grace of God, his great gospel changes our hearts so we do not walk in hypocrisy. And that's how the gospel is good news, even for hypocrites like us. And so maybe, maybe you've heard that old saying, you know, well, I, I, don't, I don't go to church, or I don't, I don't involve myself in organized religion. Well, why is that? Uh, it's full of hypocrites. And we should respond, then you'll fit right in. <laughs> well, maybe you shouldn't respond that way, but that's, that's a whole other sermon. Now, let me, let me give us a through line of how, how we can get through our text today. It, it's going to look something like this. First, we're going to see three misconceptions. Jesus is invited to a lunch, a dinner, they, they 
have this thought about what he should do. They, they had these misconceptions about Christ, and, and we're going to see three of them. There's three misconceptions. Then we're going to see three warnings, three warnings. He, he gives woes to these Pharisees, but it's not just Pharisees that are there. There's also some lawyers that are there as well. And so thirdly, we'll see three warnings to the lawyers. Lastly, fourthly, then we're going to see one heartbreaking response. So three misconceptions, three warnings, three warnings to the lawyers, and then one heartbreaking response. If, if, you, if you want to think about it this way, again, the first three points, the first three main ideas are going to have three sub points. And then the last main point will only have one. That's just for those of you who are outline nerds. There you have it. Firstly, let, let's look at this together, church family. I want you to go ahead and, and make sure that you have the text in front of you. Luke chapter 11, we're going to begin in verse 37. First, we're going to see three misconceptions. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. Now, this was not uh, for sake of cleanliness. That, that's not why uh, this guy's shocked, like, oh, wash your hands, you nasty. No telling what you've touched. You know, th this, this was not for sake of hygiene at all. But rather, what these religious leaders did is they had a religious ceremony or a religious ritual. Because the outside world was evil. Because the outside world was filled with paganism and Roman influence and, and all that wicked stuff out there. Before we come and dine at the table, we must ceremonially wash and cleanse our hands so that we can eat. And this was tradition. This was custom. And so for Jesus to be a, a prominent religious leader, to not do the traditional ceremony, I mean, how, how dare he not follow the, the regular custom. And so do you see their logic? Their logic goes something like this. The outside world is evil and morally corrupt. So we must ceremonially cleanse ourselves of the evil by washing our hands. Do you see their logic? Well, here's the, here's the problem with their logic. Their logic was flawed because there was not only evil in the outside world out there, but there was also evil within. And so the ceremonially washing of hands does nothing to cure the evil within, but they were not assuming that they had any evil within. Of course, they're God's chosen people. We do all the religious things. We do all the, all the things that God has required of us. And so obviously because of what we do and because of who we are, we're acceptable to God and we show that by doing these things such as washing our hands. And so now we are requiring Jesus to conform to our moral standards. <laughs> And so isn't that the first misconception? The first misconception that we see here is that Jesus needs to conform to our standard of holiness. That's a big misconception. Now, you, you can take that either way, can't you? You can set the standard really high and say, well, here's, don't watch rated R movies. Uh, do not consume alcohol, tobacco, uh, go to church every Sunday, read King James only, uh, tuck your shirt in, you know, don't. Don't use swear words unless they're made up Christian swear words. You know, we set the standard. 
way up here as a standard of holiness, and, and we expect that Jesus and everyone else conform to our standard. That's setting the standard high, but church family, you can also set the standard really low. Oh, I mean, of course, Jesus, <laughs> Jesus doesn't. Jesus doesn't mind, you know, if it's, it's Netflix. Of course, the show's a little inappropriate, but it's, ah, come on. You know, I mean, it's, what, what, what's the big deal here? You know, I, I had a few too many drinks and said some inappropriate things, but Jesus understands. You, you can take that either way, church family, again, but the misconception is that Jesus needs to conform to our standards instead of conforming ourselves to his standards. Jesus goes on to say in verse 39 and 40, and the Lord said to him, apparently, <laughs> we don't know if this guy said anything to Jesus or not. It just said that the Pharisee was astonished to see that the Lord didn't wash his hands. So whether he said it or not, we know Jesus has this reputation of knowing the hearts and minds of people. Maybe that is what is happening here. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the ditch, but the inside are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also? You ever, you ever left a coffee mug in the car over the weekend? Now, I'm not talking about one of those ceramic ones with a broken handle. I'm talking one of your nice uh, stainless steel insulated Yetis. I'm talking about one of them nice, one of them nice ones, a Brewmate or a, a Hydra Flask. You know, one with it. And the, you, you, you go and you, you get that thing after it's been in there over the weekend. And the outside is, I mean, it is still shiny and gorgeous. And there it is. It, it's, it looks, man, this is my favorite cup. I found it. But then you, you take the lid off and the, the milk, the creamer you had in your coffee has grown some type of unidentified life form. Like, what is going on in this thing? And, and what you definitely don't want to do is pour hot coffee back in that thing. You, you, you got to clean the inside, even though the outside is still pristine and glorious, and, and this is exactly looked good, but their hearts and their lives had not been transformed. And so isn't this the, the misconception that these guys were working with? The misconception, the second one, is that God is mostly concerned with what you do. That's the misconception, that God is mostly concerned with what you do. So God's primary concern is that you do the right things. You go to church, you read your Bible, you pray, you serve, you give, you do the right things things in order to be good with God, but that's only cleaning the outside of the cup. So, so you, can, you can quit an addiction. That's good, and you should do that, but that's only cleaning the outside of the cup. You, you, you can stop stealing from your boss. That's, you should not steal from your boss, but that's only cleaning the outside of the cup. You can show up to church on Sunday. You can feel it. That's only cleaning the outside of the cup. And so the misconception is that God is mostly concerned with what we do, which leads us to the third misconception, which is the motive of your heart doesn't matter to God. That's the misconception that just, just do the right things. Don't worry about doing the actual heart work of transformation, of finding and, and cultivating the right motives. I mean, that sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> you just, just do the right things because God is not concerned with the motives of your heart. And so, church family, does Jesus want you to go to church? Does Jesus want you to pray? Does Jesus want you to serve? Absolutely. But he is also concerned with why you are doing those things. To, to say it another way, it's not just about what you do. Jesus is concerned about what you do. But it, Jesus is also concerned with who you are. 
He's concerned with both, with what you do and with who you are, with what is in your heart, which is why he goes on to say in verse 41, look at it, but give as alms those things that are within, within what? Within your heart. Give as alms those things that are within and behold, everything is clean for you. When, when doing the right things out of a proper heart motive, that's what makes everything clean. That's, that's Jesus's point. Instead of concentrating all attention upon the outward ceremonial cleansing of cups and platters, what they should have done is exercise true love and share their possessions. Almsgiving. That, that's what is there in verse 41. Share their possessions out of a place of love. Jesus' point is that we should give to the poor alms out of a heart that loves them because God loves them. That's the true and proper Motivation. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Hypocrites, not any of you in here. Hypocrites are satisfied with outward religious observance with no inward change. That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is, is totally fine if we look the part without actually having a transformed heart. Don't you see how all three of those misconceptions that the Pharisees held is what led them into hypocrisy. That, that's exactly what got them there. That's what took them to exactly to where they were. So if, if he's not been offensive enough, Jesus has more. Secondly, we're going to see three warnings to the Pharisees. So if this dinner lunch situation uh, is not uncomfortable enough, it's already really uncomfortable in there, don't you think? The guy invites him in. There's all the scribes and Pharisees. He, he says, you guys are dirty on the inside. You're evil, you're wicked, and you're fools. And I've got more. Second, three warnings to the Pharisees in verses 42 through 44. Look at verse 42. But woe to you Pharisees. A, a woe is a warning. It's, it's a warning of impending judgment or disaster. I, I, think, I think if we're not careful especially if, if you've been around the Bible, you've been in gospel preaching churches, Bible teaching churches, we know are the Pharisees good guys or bad guys? Oh, they're bad guys. And, and we're the, we stand over here with Jesus, and the Pharisees are bad guys. They stand over here opposed to Jesus. We have on the white hats as the good guys, and the other guys over here, they have on black hats and mustaches and a scar on their face because they're the evil guys. You can clearly see. But don't you get it? The, the Pharisees were the let's get back to the Bible guys. The, the Pharisees were the culture is going wayward. The culture is going away from God. And so let's call the people back to God. Isn't that a good thing? What, didn't it start out the way it was supposed to start out? So, the, so church family, this warning is not for those people out there. The, this, this warning today is for us in here. The, the one who, who has shown up in church on, on a holiday weekend. It, it's for us, the religious ones. Th these warnings are for us. So he's given us, but woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe with your mint and your rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. 
Um, Jesus is not against giving. (laughs) By a plain reading? Sure, if you want to tithe from your garden, okay, fine. Tithe from your garden. But don't neglect, what does he say there? Don't neglect justice. What is that? that? That's caring for those who cannot care for themselves. That's speaking for those who do not have a voice. That's loving the widow and the orphan and those who are oppressed. That, that's what justice is. Amen? He says, you guys have neglected justice and, and also the love of God. And so the first warning, the first warning that we see here is that you are majoring on what is minor. You have missed the main point and are focusing on the minor points. These guys have a Ph.D. in the irrelevant, is what Jesus is saying. They missed justice. They, they missed the love of God. And so we might say here this morning, church, oh, you know what? <clears throat> I've memorized uh, some very important, uh, slightly obscure parts of Leviticus. But nonetheless, I, I have memorized them. It's like, cool. I, you, if, that's, if that's you this morning, God bless you. We might say, you know, I, I pray I pray three hours a day, every day. Not only do I pray three hours a day every day, but I, don't forget, I've also memorized Leviticus. Okay, great. I, I'm not saying don't pray. I'm not saying don't memorize Leviticus. But what I am saying is that we cannot forget what the main thing is. We cannot look at these religious practices and say, I have this right relationship with God because I've done these tedious things, yet I've ignored the main things. And so what practical things are we doing to love and serve those who cannot give back to us? And is that service to those who cannot give back to us, is it then motivated by a love for God? Are we so secure in the fact that we've memorized a passage, obscure passages of the Bible and we spend all this time in prayer? That's what Jesus is getting after here. You see, giving was supposed to be something that was joyful, but they had robbed the joy from the giving by spending hours in the garden counting leaves in order to gain God's approval. Let's look at this next woe, the second woe. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogue and greetings in the marketplace. Do you see this woe to these Pharisees here? The woe goes something like this. You have been approved by your heavenly father, yet you are forsaking that approval for the approval of people? That's what Jesus is saying. He's, he's warning them. He's pleading. Don't, don't you see? He's calling these men to repentance. He's pleading with them to not be in love with the praise of man and rather to be in love with the fact that they're approved by God. Yeah. That, that's, that's exactly what, what Jesus is trying to do to communicate to them. And so what a gut shot to anyone in leadership in this church, to anyone who would stand and speak on a microphone that would lead us in prayer, that would lead us in a song, that would stand and proclaim God's word. This is a woe and a warning to us to check our hypocritical hearts. Church family, your pastor is a big hypocrite. You you don't think I struggle with this? You don't think this is like... (laughs) I mean, I, I should have worn my steel toe boots today. This is calling out religious leaders, prominent people who get deferential treatment because of who they are. You don't think there's, you don't think something happens in my heart when the big fancy church planting organization calls me to be a speaker at their conference? Huh, 
you know, I, I got a call a few days. I'm, I'm preaching at a buddy's church coming up. I got a call a few days ago. One of their people called me to, to talk to me about the accommodations that they will have ready for us. You don't think that does something in my own heart? Can, can, I, can I admit my own sin, church family? Is the pastor allowed to do that? You don't think that does something in my heart that I need to examine and that I need to apply the gospel to? And so what about sitting in your community group? I stepped on my own toes. Now I can step on yours. What about sitting in your community group? And and in your heart, you know you're desperate to say something, to add something to your community group so that the rest of the people in the group would go, oh, how wise, how spiritual that comment. They have just brought the wisdom of God to our conversation in our group today. God bless God bless us for having this person, this holy spiritual person in our group. That never happens in your heart? Okay, I better move on. Here we go. He says, uh, verse 44, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. What he's getting at here is if you touched a grave, you would be unclean for seven days. And, and what, they were, what they're seeking to do is whitewash or kind of paint these tombs white so that it doesn't look like another cave that you might store wine or grain in. Why? Because if it just looks like a regular think about the topography of the area. There's just a normal cave. You go up and take a rest on it, lean on it, or you think it's, a, you think it's where wine or grain is stored, and you go, well, now you're unclean. But maybe it was unknowingly. Maybe you touched that grave and you didn't know it was a grave, And now you're unclean unknowingly. Jesus is saying that what the Pharisees are doing is leading other people into uncleanness without them knowing it. Meaning the Pharisees' love for the approval of other people, the Pharisees' love for uh, the pats on the back was actually modeling for the people what they should be about. And that was therefore leading them into hypocrisy. And so the third uh, woe here to the Pharisees is that people are following you down this pathway of hypocrisy. And so this is a warning for this church and for the elders of this church to avoid at all costs some type of celebrity pastor culture. That, That verse is clearly saying that. But it is also warning every Christian of this church who is unwilling to be vulnerable about where they really are and what they're really struggling with because they want people to praise them for having a life well put together. Think on that. What what happens when you are fine? I'm fine. My marriage is fine. Everything's fine. My kids are fine. Everything in my life's going fine. If that listen to me, very this is so important. If that is the posture of your heart, and if that is what you say to everyone else, you close the door on them to not be fine. If you're always fine, then no one else around you can be broken and hurting. When you say, no, I'm good, brother. Are you good? I'm good. Everything's good. We, oh, 
when you, when you shrink back from uncomfortable conversations about other people's sin and about what they're really going through, when you ostracize them, you know what you're doing? You're leading them down a path of hypocrisy. You're, you're encouraging them to put on the same mask that you're wearing. So when we refuse to be real about our own struggles, we lead other people to hide behind the facade of a perfect life. If you're taking notes, hypocrites, not anyone in the room, hypocrites deny their continual need for grace and doing this invites others to wear the same mask. That's exactly what Jesus is warning them about. Now, here comes a guy who wants to try to bring some clarity to this situation. He's a lawyer. Now, not a type of lawyer that stands up in court, but this is an expert in law, namely now. Jesus Bible. And he thinks, now, Jesus certainly cannot be talking about us. The Pharisees possibly, now, some lawyers were Pharisees, but not all Pharisees were lawyers. So these are two different groups here. Look at what he says. Thirdly, thirdly in our outline, three warnings to the lawyers. One of the lawyers answered him, teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also. This lawyer is inviting Jesus to clear up this little misunderstanding. He's he's inviting Jesus to apologize um, for lumping them in with this group. Words of Jesus. And he said, woe to you lawyers also. Okay, okay, lawyer. I mean, I was giving it to the Pharisees. Lawyer, you want to stand up? I got some for you too, buddy. Here we go. Woe to you, lawyers, also, for you load people with like this, hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with your little finger. The warning goes something like this. You are adding unnecessary and strict rules on top of my principles. For example, um, uh, we know that on the seventh day, you are supposed to rest, right? That's the principle. The principle goes rest. That's it. That's what you're supposed to do. And so the lawyers and also the Pharisees, what is work? Well, we say if there's rest, then there's no work. And so now we need to define what is work. Well, we know that walking is work. And so let's get some rules about the distance, about how far you can walk on the Sabbath. And so they wrote all that down. Here's all the rules about the exact distance that you're allowed to walk on the Sabbath. Uh, well, we know that carrying stuff is work. Nobody wants to carry stuff. That's working. And so let's make some rules about how you carry stuff, what you're allowed to carry, when you can carry it, and how far you can carry it. I mean, all kinds of crazy stuff. They had rules about doing buttons on the Sabbath. Uh, Buttons, because tying a knot is work. Everyone knows that. And so if you wear a garment on the Sabbath, it has to be a button. Because doing a button, not work. Tying a knot, definitely work. I mean, it gets even crazier. If a house collapsed which was common in those days. If a house collapsed, you could not dig the person out if they were dead because digging is work. Oh, but you could dig them out if you thought they could possibly be alive. Then you could dig them out. But that was the only exception. Do you see how crazy? So church family, it sounds like when we hear this, we're giggling and laughing. It sounds so silly. But church family, what extra biblical rules do you impose on other people? I mean, we're, we're, we're looking and laughing at how silly... These people are, but, but don't, we, 
do this very, very same thing. What is it that you are seeking to add to the finished then you of Jesus Christ? Are you saying in your heart, if you're going to truly follow Jesus, then you certainly need to be a member of my political party? I mean, because you can't be a real Christian and be a member of the other, fill in the blank, the other political party, whichever other you decide. Oh, if you're really going to follow Christ, I mean, of course, you have to homeschool your children. You wouldn't send them to school with those pagans now, would you? I mean, this is what real Christians do. Isn't that, isn't that us adding? Or you might even be on the other side of the argument and say, I mean, how could you shelter your children? Like, Aren't we supposed to be raising up missionaries? How can you be a real Christian? And rules, uh, how about rule? I mean, we know we, we can we can find all types of rules. Uh, how about all oh, real Christians avoid social the evils of social media? Or you might say, no, real Christians see it as a tool and they use social media for the glory of God. How dare you not? You, do, do you see how we can go down this trail of, of just stacking up all of these different kind of things that we're adding to the finished work of Christ and saying we, we've got to continue to add and we bear and, and leave these burdens on people unnecessarily. And so if you're taking notes, hypocrites impose their extra biblical rules on others. That's, that's what hypocrites do. They impose in my own personal life with people. Now, let me say this as a disclaimer. In my own personal life, I have extra biblical rules. I do. I set boundaries for myself um, which go beyond the principles of Scripture. Let me give you an example. Um, as a pastor, as a counselor, I don't counsel one-on-one -on -one with women. I don't do that. I don't have a verse for that. Uh, I can point to texts that talk about being above reproach and so on and so forth, but there's no clear verse in that. As a matter of fact, I have a close friend who is a male, and he is a professional biblical counselor, and he meets one-on-one -on -one with women. Okay. There's nothing wrong with setting extra biblical rules for yourself, especially in areas of your own weakness. The, the alcoholic says, I don't go into bars. It's, it's not helpful for me to. That's setting an extra biblical rule, but, but is it, wouldn't that be wise for that person struggling with that addiction? It would certainly be wise. But the problem comes in when we seek to enforce our own personal extra biblical rules on other people. That's what Jesus is warning against here in this text. Okay, this next section is a lot. Bear with me. Woe to you. For you build, I'm in verse 47, woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your fathers killed. So you are witnesses and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore, also the wisdom of God said, I will send the prophets and the apostles and some of whom they will kill and persecute so that the blood of the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar of the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. A lot going on here in this passage. I'll try to make it as simple as possible. The Pharisees would uh, kind of build these monuments around the graves of the, the fallen prophets. The, the prophets of old, the Old Testament prophets. They knew where they were buried. And the Pharisees, again, the Pharisees, the back to the Bible guys, they would build these monuments around these tombs and, and they would weep and mourn and say, oh, us Pharisees, if only we would have been here. We 
would not have killed them. We would have listened to them, is what the Pharisees are saying. All the while, plotting to kill the greatest prophet of all time, that is Jesus Christ. If that's not hypocrisy, I don't know what is. And so that's why Jesus then outlines basically the whole history of Israel, pointing to the death of Cain, if Abel killed by his brother, all the way to kind of the end of, uh, of, of their, their history to where Zechariah is killed. Uh, if you want to look at all of that, you can go see 2 Chronicles, Woe goes 24, 20 through 20. But here's the woe, okay? As simple as we can get it. Here's the woe. The woe goes something like this. You won't listen to those who tell the truth. You, you want to talk about the OG cancel culture. It's right here. They canceled the people that told the truth. They, they were trying to speak the truth of God's word into the culture, into the people. They were trying, and, and they just killed them. They, they, pushed, they pushed them away. And so write this down, church family. Hypocrites cut people out of their lives who tell them uncomfortable truths. That's what hypocrites do. And before you send this to 10 people who you think need to hear it, who have you shut out of your life? And the same goes to me. I, I need to think about the people I've cut out of my own life because I didn't want to hear what they had to say. Moving on. That's way too uncomfortable. Let's keep moving. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. The, this woe goes something like this. You have obscured the main point of the Bible. Again, these are back to the Bible, guys. The these lawyers, I mean, they love the obscure passages. Um, instead of teaching the people about the love of God and his desire to save, they would rather go to the obscure passages that might have had multiple different meanings and just argue back and forth about the tediousness of what this, or what God might have meant here in this particular obscure passage rather than promoting the love and the salvation and the mercy and the justice and the goodness of God. And so, church family, there... There is nothing wrong with long, tedious sermons. Amen. Bless God. Nothing wrong with long, tedious sermons. There's nothing wrong with, with preaching through the book of Revelation and going through the seven horns and the seven seals and the seven bowls. and the. There's nothing wrong with getting down into the minutia of spiritual giftings of speaking in tongues and prophecy and let's talk about all these things about end times and spiritual gifts and all these things that can weigh people down and be there's nothing wrong with talking about them as long as we get to jesus as long as we point those things back to the savior as long as the main point of what we're communicating as long as the emphasis is you're a sinner jesus died for your sins place your faith on him and live forever with him as long as we get to sola scriptura, in the scriptures alone, we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. As long as we get there, that's where we got to go. But that's not where they were. They, they were happy to sit with the, with the details. And so they were cutting and holding on to the key of knowledge. And they themselves had not seen this key of knowledge, for the true key of knowledge was there right in front of them. Jesus himself. Okay. Fourthly and lastly, we've seen three misconceptions. We, we've seen the three woes to the Pharisees, the three woes to the lawyers. Now, one heartbreaking response in verses 53 and 54. 
And as he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait to catch him in something that he might say. When confronted with their hypocrisy, they sought to find inconsistencies, not with themselves, but with Jesus. Jesus saying, here's your hypocrisy. And they say, well, what about you, Jesus? And what about your inconsistency? And we're going to fire away a bunch of questions at you, Jesus, to see if we can find some inconsistencies so we can call you out for hypocrisy. The, The heartbreaking response is like this. Instead of letting their eyes adjust to the bright light of the truth of the gospel, sadly, they retreated back into darkness. I've used this analogy many times before, but, but don't you, that, that moment when the bright light comes on and it hurts your eyes, and you, and you can stay in that bright light, you can stay in that uncomfortable space and let your eyes adjust to it, or you can turn that light back off, you can hit that snooze alarm and retreat back into the darkness. Well, that, that is the heartbreaking response of these lawyers and of these Pharisees instead of Settling into the bright and uncomfortable light, they retreat back into darkness. Well, that's the text, church family. What are we to do with it then? Well, certainly as for point of clarity and uh, just so that we're all on the same page, what this text is not saying is that it does not matter what you do. So Jesus here is pointing out these guys are doing all the religious things. So what we can't say is the application is it doesn't matter if you do religious things. Bible reading doesn't matter. Prayer doesn't matter. Church attendance doesn't matter. What really matters is in your heart. Well, of course, that's not not the application of this text at all. The, The application of this text, rather, is that Jesus is concerned with what you do and with who you are. Or to say it another way, he wants a transformed that will then show itself in a transformed life. If you're taking notes, here's the application for our text today. Repent of hypocrisy and ask God to change your heart. Notice I didn't say if you're here this morning and you are a hypocrite. I'm assuming that you are by virtue of this application. Repent of hypocrisy and ask God to change your heart. Again, the challenge coming from this text is that we would have the courage to hold up this word in front of us as a mirror to show us what is really in our souls. And, and just in case, just in case we would be crushed by what we have seen by holding up this mirror to our own hypocritical souls, I, I want to remind you of the good news. I want to remind you that the gospel is good news for hypocrites like you and me. And so, church family, by the grace of God and through the power of his gospel, we have the power to have changed hearts. Praise him, praise him. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, this text is uncomfortable. Lord, this text is revealing. Uh, This text calls us to think on uncomfortable. Give us the courage to not only... And so Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit, give us the courage to not only acknowledge those things, but to then do the hard work of applying the salve of your gospel to our broken, hypocritical hearts. Oh, Father, send your spirit now to minister to us in a special way.
as we move into our time of response. And we ask, Lord, for renewed hearts, renewed eyes, and a greater love for you and for who you are, that we might be motivated by that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.